we go. <laughs> Here we go. You're the one who started all of this. Started what? The reason I have a podcast is because of you. Because if you didn't do this, we were going to have words. <laughs> because do you, you, I've told you from the moment that I met you that you have things that people need to know. You did say that. And Which it doesn't feel like that for me, right? I like all of my colleagues and friends know these things. But no one else does. And from the moment that you started not even doing this podcast, but just like making videos and Instagram and all that kind of (laughs) stuff, people have just been like, where's this information been? Yeah. Why, Why have I not heard this before? Well, that is very interesting because I say all of my colleagues. I shouldn't have said that. I said... I mean the tiny niche group that I work with and yeah. the ones I went to school with. Um, there are so many people, even in my own life, like in my own family, and my mom's a good example of it. She's just like, Caleb, if that were true, we would know. Yes, uh, but it's not and true. It's just such an interesting concept because once you, once you get to the point in your life where you realize not only – are you being lied to by the people you assume you should be lied to by, you know, large industry, your government, I'm assuming they're not telling me the truth, but then you're also being lied to by the people who you're assuming you trust. And it's maybe not that they're doing it on purpose, but it's because they've believed the lie that they've been told. Yeah. And so all of a sudden you're like, Oh my goodness, all the things that I know to be true, air quotes known to be true. I now have to try to question that. And then when somebody speaks the truth, it's like, holy smokes, I know that is true. Even yeah. though I know you just said it, when someone's like telling you the truth, it's like, this is mind-blowing that that is being told to me. It is, but I also think people have two reactions, at least what I've experienced. They yeah. hear the truth and they say, oh, that's, that, that is the truth, tell me more. And then there's other people who say, mm, that's uncomfortable. Yeah. And they allow it to cause, like, shame within themselves almost. Does that make sense? Yeah. I, w- I was going to ask you, so what do you observe their behavior? So the first person, I agree, they hear the truth and they're like, living water and food, give me as much of yeah. that as possible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But then there's this other group, and I've seen different reactions from that. You're right. So um, what have you observed? Well, if it's someone who I'm talking to, who, you know, I've shared something on Instagram or whatever, and they're offended by that truth, they continue to be offended and take it personally, or they they make, they say things like, well, I don't have a choice, or mm. I don't have X, Y, and Z, and they just make it a like a personal thing, like it's something that they have created as their, or decided is their only truth, and so when it's challenged, it, it almost is like their identity is yeah. being changed. Does that make sense? That's and, where and I was you, going. You talk about that all the time. I don't remember how you phrase it. With what? Um, uh, science is their God or something like that. Yeah. You say that sometimes. Yeah, and I just feel like the in my, I don't even know how many years it's been, five years of being on this journey of learning the truth and having my, what I thought was true, being challenged I've had to say, I've had to ha- kind of had open hands and be like, it's okay if this is challenged. I don't have to react in this moment. I can learn. I can continue to get information, but I don't have to allow it to cause me shame over the choices mm. that I have been making. 
out of not knowing? Well, I, I really, I know this sounds cliche, but we've kind of taken God out of our country in many, many ways. That doesn't sound cliche at all. (laughs) That's true. (laughs) What we've inserted in the place of it is science. Yeah. And it does threaten the identity of a person's faith. Yeah. And that's deep. Like if someone comes to you and threatens the deepest part of your faith and telling you that God doesn't exist and you're an idiot for believing in this, you're going to react pretty frustrated about that. And we're seeing that happen in the world of science, which is severely dangerous because we know science changes all of the time Yeah, because it's always evolving. There's never an actual stamp on this is what we know and it will never change. It changes all the time, all the time. because we don't understand what's going on, especially with the human body, which is where this whole science field lives. But uh, when, when, we t- when you talk about like science being their God, as a Christian, I believe that God is the creator, the maker of my body and knows everything. He's given us so much information about our bodies. The fact that he was able to do the surgery through the hands of (laughs) of surgeons on my child's body inside of my womb, unbelievable. When I tell people that, they're like, I didn't even know they could do that. That's you can't do that. Literally, I've never gotten another reaction than that. <laughs> All right. Perfect segue. Yes. Who are you? <laughs> okay. This I, is Lexi Theory. This is hilarious to me because I knew you were going to say that. I had a dream that you said that. <laughs> do you know my last name is actually pronounced Teary? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> you know what's even better? I think Molly says Theory. Like, actually, like, like T-H-E-O-R-Y. Right. I love it. So don't change it. You can call me whatever, but yeah, just Craig's last name. Yes. Yeah. My last name before this was Smith. So Lexi Smith. Yeah. Um, Yeah. That's not original. So Teary. Teary. Wow. That's embarrassing. It's okay. I've known you for a while. Okay, But I'm sure a lot of people pronounce your last name all kinds of crazy ways. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, my mom's favorite one is when I was in a little league game, I was pronounced Kaleeb Susui. Yeah. I'm going to have such a hard time not calling you that now. <laughs> Multiple people in my life still call me Khalib. Did they think you were like... A Hasidic Jew or, yeah, a Muslim kid. I don't know. Susui. Susui. That's what it looks like, though. Well, I was confused because I was looking around on the team. I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> I, I didn't know we got a new Khalib. Oh, my gosh. You have to so I was supposed to run out onto often. the field when I get my name called, and I'm just like standing there. Did your, were your parents there listening to this? Yeah. Oh and yeah. they were also like... Dying what? laughing. My goodness, that yeah. is hilarious. Yeah. Wow. Okay, I am Lexi Teary, and I am a mother. I am a podcaster. I am a YouTuber. And you got famous-ish. Oh, not famous. How many people follow you? On YouTube? Or bo- Instagram, both? Yeah, on all your things. I have 32,000 on Instagram and 90, like 95-ish on YouTube. 95,000 people subscribe to your channel. Yes. That's kind of a big deal. Yeah, it is totally a big deal, but it's not, like, just because there's 95,000 subscribers doesn't mean all those people watch. Sure. You know what I mean? Sure. But, yeah, I mean, I I did get that subscriber count from my child 
So you and want me to go into that? I do because my audience doesn't know that. Of course, yeah. if you post this on your platform, they're going to be like, yeah, we heard this before. But yeah. for some fresh set of years, you have 98,000 people that may or may not watch your life. How did you get there? Yeah. I also, like, I, I would tell this story every day if I could. <laughs> I, it's so cool. It's so cool. It's tragic, but it's cool. So I have a son. His name is Azariah. And he was about two years old. He's yes. 26 months. Great. Just turned 26 months. And when I was first of all told I would not be able to get pregnant because of medical stuff and people just not knowing what was going on with my body and not really trying to figure it out. Mm. And when we found out that we were pregnant with him, it was like, whoa, like wasn't expecting this. I was chronically ill, very, very ill. And was, from what age to what age? Oh, from like age 11 to age just a year ago <laughs> <laughs> because of Caleb Such. <laughs> um, uh, healing because of Caleb Such. Um, but yeah, so I was like, I, I, I can't even, I mean, I could tell you, you know the things that were wrong with me, mm -hmm. but I didn't know the things that were wrong with me. I just knew that I was not okay and I was scared of my body and I was scared of food and I was scared of living because I was in so much pain all the time. And so when I got... Abdominal discomfort. Well, it was abdominal dis discomfort, but it was my entire body. body. It was like one day it'd be this, the next day it'd be this. And my, like, it was like when I ate food, immediately felt like my body was attacking itself. Mm -hmm. And I knew something was wrong, but everyone told me that I was making it up because there weren't any, like, tests that showed anything. Like, all the tests I got done were fine. It's the the allopathic's favorite thing to do when they don't have an answer. Yeah. Blame the patient. Yeah, that's what it felt like. It yeah. really felt like people were just telling me that I'm insane, and yet I would spend days in bed, not it, able to work. Don't get me wrong. They're definitely insane patients. I've <laughs> seen them. <before. laughs> yes. But there's also a bunch of patients that are massively misunderstood, and they just get clumped into the insane category, yeah. too. And once you've filtered through a few of these, it's really easy to see them come in. So when you came in the door, I was like, oh, yeah, this is not an insane one. Well, because I knew it wasn't true, though. Like, I, had, I hadn't accepted it as true. And I also knew that I didn't – I have, had never felt at home in my body before. But mm. I knew the way that I was living was not normal. Like, I wasn't supposed to be living in pain all the time. And even though doctors told me that they didn't know what was wrong or that nothing was wrong, and I started to believe it, there was also a part of me that was like, that's not true. I'm not living like this. Yeah. Like, there's more to my life than this. And that's why I came to you in the first place, because I was like, well, uh, my friend was like, use him as your last-ditch effort. And I was like, I will. But, you know, everybody else has told me the same thing, that nothing's wrong. And the moment I walked into your office and you just literally sat down and said, tell me your story. And I unloaded on you <laughs> and you, you and Tom and Aaron were like, what just happened? <laughs> this is going to be complicated. Well, you came post Azariah. Yeah, he was a couple months old. And so you told me what happened to your son and all of our mouths chopped. I was literally like, go get Tom. I'm pretty sure I said it story. nonchalantly. Yeah, you did. And we were just like, there's no way. Okay, so you got to start there. Yeah. So you get pregnant. I get pregnant. You weren't supposed to. Wasn't supposed to. Um, went to our 20 week ultrasound and 
it was supposed to be normal. We were supposed to go in, and it was supposed to be, here is your baby. Here, it's here, boy, yeah, it's girl. He, it's a yeah, and here's his kidney and his heart and his everything, and the whole ultrasound was quiet. But at the time, I didn't know that. I didn't know that that was, like, a normal thing, um, or it wasn't a normal thing, because normally they're like, here's this and here's So the this. ultrasound tech is not speaking. Yeah. She's being very quiet. Yeah, and she she is an incredible human being, and she did that because she saw that first. She right. saw his, his birth defect first because it was obvious. Right. And so the whole rest of the time, she was just trying to keep it together, I think. And I so can't, she goes and calls the doctor. Yeah. I can't imagine being an ultrasound tech and having to having to see that and see a mom in a room over like head over heels in love with this baby yeah. she's seeing on a screen and then having to go and say hey doc you got to look at this it's a weird part of being a physician is giving catastrophic news yeah um i thankfully don't do ultrasounds on pregnant moms so i've never had to do that experience but i remember early on in my career i was it was probably my first year and i had a patient who was young he was in his 20s and something just wasn't right. I took an MRI of his spine. And he was a cancer survivor, and there was cancer all over his spine. And Oh, I just got chills. Yeah. So I'm showing him his, his CD, and there's tumors everywhere. And I'm telling him, hey, I'm really sorry, but your cancer's back. And it was just strange because he got mad at me. He's like, that's not possible. I just had... Um, a bone scan. So he was getting regular bone scans. Well, bone scans don't pick up what MRIs do. So he just had a bone scan a month ago, and he goes, that's not possible. You're wrong. And he got mad at me. He kept getting mad at me. And I was like, yeah, I'm really sorry. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, he had cancer, and he died. And it was it was pretty terrible. You weren't supposed to make me cry <laughs> on this. <laughs> We're going to cry. I can't imagine. It was hard. I still think of him all the time. I went to his funeral, but his parents came back and, and thanked me for being honest, but it was, I mean, he was young, married and yeah. in his early twenties, just the weight. I'm, I was just telling that story because I don't think a lot of people understand the weight that their doctor has yeah. when they're in that visit. And yeah. the fact that you recognize, Hey, this person's about to tell me terrible news. I didn't recognize it when it happened though. No, but you see it now. Yeah. And you have empathy for that person. A million percent. Yeah. I mean, I, I look back on that day, and I don't have as much empathy as the next doctor or the next day. Sure. Um, just because I think that there there could have been more empathy on yeah. that person's behalf um, because it was such devastating news. But the, the initial doctor who came in and pulled up these MRIs and said, I need you to look at this right here. We think that this is... This is spina bifida. Never in my life have I heard those words before. Now, let's clarify to everyone because there's multiple different kinds of spina bifida. Yeah. Azariah had the worst kind. Yeah. Myelomeningocele. Which means that both the thecal sac and the spinal cord remnants are growing outside of the body, correct? Correct. So his spinal cord is growing outside of his spine. Correct. And the doctor tells you he's not going to survive he's never going to walk. What does the doctor say? Well, the first doctor told me nothing other than he has spina bifida and you're going to have to go through this long process. So you're going to go see the specialist. Right. So that was the most, dev that was not the most devastating day. That was the 
second most devastating day because the next day was the most devastating day mm-hmm. because we had we were so confused I think it was just shock like we were just like what first of all we'd never seen that before and mind you my first reaction when I heard that was I never went home and googled what spina bifida was because I wanted to protect mm. my heart to not not go deep in this rabbit hole to hear about what the world says about it. Yeah, because you're going to get all the worst stories. Yeah, I just wanted to hear, like I just wanted to let that settle and then kind of lean into the spirit and say, what do you say to me, right? And then the next day, so we went to the specialist and I got an amniocentesis, which was terrible. It wasn't the worst thing ever, but... Right. I think most needle. people don't know what that means. What is it? Uh, it's basically this giant needle goes into your amniotic sac. And By giant, you mean like two and a half feet long. Oh, I mean, it's yeah. It's giant. I, yeah, I can't. I know. It's terrible. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's not as bad as the epidural needle, but. Um, I wish we would have recorded this podcast <laughs> just for the face you just Sorry. made. <laughs> I'm very animated with my faces. Oh, that was good. Um, but yeah, So a big he, needle goes into your placenta through your abdomen. Yeah, and it takes fluid and it tests for chromosomal abnormalities like sometimes spina bifida is associated with chromosomal abnormalities mm-hmm. like down syndrome and other things and so we got that done got another huge I mean it was like an hour long MRI just taking tons of different pictures of his spine and this whole time knowing nothing and being super fearful because I was hoping that it was not going to be what they had initially said it was going to be because I knew that it was going to be a long, r- and nobody want. I don't. You know, you didn't want that. I didn't want that to be the case. But and you're following on Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, whatever. At this point, is minimal. Yeah, like t- maybe two thousand on Instagram, and not even not not enough on YouTube to be monetized at that right. point. <laughs> it, and what were you sharing? You were sharing workout videos you were a personal trainer yeah you were doing yeah like hey some healthy lifestyle change stuff yeah so I started my YouTube channel because I was a personal trainer and I, I wanted to just help women think differently about the way that they treated their bodies and thought about their bodies and so I made videos kind of collaborating with faith and fitness and making videos just empowering women to take care of their bodies and that was because you had uh, yeah struggled with body image oh yeah just like every single other girl that I've ever met in my life. Yeah, yeah. two eating disorders for a long time. Struggled with, uh, I went from being at a decent weight to losing 50 pounds in the mm-hmm. matter of a couple months. And I thought it was good because I was doing something called reverse dieting and I was working out really hard and I was doing all this stuff. And it became my God. I, it became sure. my idol. At the same time, I was in quotes pursuing God, but I was pursuing him and my morning time and going to the gym and making it all about me all day. You gave him five minutes in the morning. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I was a new Christian at that point. So I, I was, mm. yeah. Got but, saved when? Um, my junior year. Okay. Of high school. After the eating disorders? In the middle. Right. Right before the they, right before they ramped up to the worst that they've ever been. Mm. Yeah. And so I had, God had set me free from those things. I still struggled with like not having the most healthy relationship with food, but I no longer was binging. I was no longer purging. And so you had created this platform yeah, to help this minor amount of people that were following you to yes. get a better image, better whatever, get pregnant, get this diagnosis. 
Yeah. And well, you continued to record and continued to show people in the, hey, we got this terrible thing that happened. Yeah. Please pray for us. Yeah. Don't know what to do. Well, I, I initially started vlogging. I, I moved from doing uh, those personal training, faith-related videos to still doing them, but like moving into vlogging because I was like, I'm pregnant. I want to like document this journey. Sure. At the time, I was kind of like, what if I was able to be like a family vlog channel? That'd be cool. It's not cool. But if it, <laughs> it, I thought at the time it was going to be cool. And so I just started recording that journey, having no idea that this was going to happen, obviously. And the day of our 20 week ultrasound, I had been recording because I was like, we're going to have a good report. This is something like a milestone in your pregnancy that you want to share. And I, I almost didn't pick up my camera after that appointment because I was like, how do I pick up my camera after this and talk to a camera when I can't even breathe right now? Mm -hmm. But I sat in the car with Craig and I picked up my camera and I said, this is so small for God. And posting that video literally like <laughs> went viral basically where people were like, what? How many people watched it? I don't, I honestly don't know at this point, probably a million plus. Holy smokes. Yeah. I mean, and that was, that was like the first video, obviously, where there started to, to get more traction. So you post this video in the car of you saying. No, I posted it like a few days later. Okay. Because I had to, had to process. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How long is, it, is like five minutes? You sit just explaining what happened or this was. It's like a vlog because I've vlogged like the most of the day. I haven't seen it. Yeah. I think it's crazy that I've been on your podcast and I haven't seen your origin story. You have not watched a single one of those videos. Now, I gotta remember, you I met no you time. and I didn't have the internet. You didn't have the, oh yeah, that's right, that's right, that's right. Do you so, have the internet now? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have the internet when I come to work. What a blessing. <laughs> but I don't have much time during the day yeah, I to can't. do much screen things. Yeah, so. Don't, don't. Steward your time. It's It's been good. I still struggle with it. I still struggle yeah. at home playing a stupid video game on my cell phone because I try to shut my brain off. My wife is trying to encourage me to do that less. I know. Shut your brain off or play video No, games? just play a stupid game on my phone. Yeah, it's hard. It is, but I I don't get a, a, the ability to look at videos, so that's the only reason why. Yeah, I mean, I am not offended at all okay, because good. because it it's, uh, it's kind of heavy and also exciting because you yeah. know the end. You know the end of yeah, the story. Yeah, I came in in the good part. Yeah. Yeah, but so I started, I shared that video and people just kind of flocked to it because they didn't understand our reaction, mm. basically, because it was devastating and the worst day of our lives because, well, the second day, the day after the ultrasound, when I'm getting the amniocentesis, right, we walk into the doctor's office and he, stone cold as ever, looks at us and says, yeah, your baby has spina bifida and you have three options. You terminate, which we believe is the best option for you here. Oh, great. Or you have open fetal surgery or you have fetal surgery or you wait till the baby's born. Let me tell you the benefit of and the benefit and the risk, reward, risk yeah. of each of these. And it was as cold as literally that. <laughs> I remember sitting with Craig and holding his hand and looking, you know, at this doctor and almost literally having an out-of-body experience where he was talking, but I couldn't hear him mm -hmm. after those words. Because I was like, 
I remember my first thought being, that's, that's all you're going to say to me is my child has spina bifida and you think I should terminate him mm-hmm. or I have these other two options. Here's your best option. Abortion. Yeah. You want to know what he said to me after that? What? Just so you know, if you end up going to Cincinnati and you decide when your baby's full term that you'd like to terminate, you can terminate up to full term in, oh. in Cincinnati or in, in Ohio. Oh. I mean, this was in five minutes of walking into his room. And I just remember being like getting this burning in me. Like I just wanted to yell because I was like, that's not true. <laughs> that is not true. Like even if whatever happens to this baby, he is worth whatever I'm going to go through. Mm-hmm. And it was terrifying. Like I, I don't even know how to describe to you the fear of that moment because it was like I had two days to decide what happened. And termination obviously was not an option, but I had two days to decide if I was going to wait to have surgery on my baby or if I was going to have fetal surgery, which meant that he was basically going to, I was going to have a surgery I didn't need for my baby who needed a surgery. So they're going to open up your belly and have surgery on your baby. Yeah. And then sew you back up. Yeah. That's exactly what they did. Where'd you go for this? Cincinnati Children's Hospital. I truly believe one of the best hospitals for children. Mm-hmm. Our fetal medicine um, team was amazing. We actually go see our neurosurgeon next week. So Nice. Yeah. And you accredit your now popularity, if you want to call it that. It's probably the wrong word, to you and Craig having the opposite reaction of what you should have. So people see you and say, this doesn't make sense. Why are they responding this way? Yeah. I think we had a human reaction, and then we had a faith reaction. What was the human reaction? Define it in one word. Turmoil. What was the faith reaction? One word. Trust. It's pretty good. Well, I, from my experience in life, um, whenever you don't do what you're expected to do, that's when you have probably the most influence for your faith. Yeah. Especially in the midst of suffering. But that is faith. That is faith. But... You deserve to be angry, right? That's what they would say to you. You deserve to yes. be angry. You, you deserve to be mad. You deserve, deserve, deserve. Mm-hmm. And once you set that aside and say, I deserve nothing, everybody <laughs> goes, wait a minute. Yes, you do. Why did you just say that? You know, I, I, a couple months after this happened, this whole thing, I remember sitting down and praying and, and saying, I'm, I haven't once asked why this happened to me. Even in, in that doctor's office getting this, this news, I didn't say, why is this happening to me? It literally makes me emotional. Literally, I I remember being in that doctor's office and saying, God, how are you going to get glory from this? Mm -hmm. That's not a typical response. That was not, that was not a me response. That was a again, trust response, where I said, 
I don't know what's going to happen in this. I'm so scared. But this isn't happening for no reason. You're not leading us through this for no reason. His life is not for no reason. And so I just said, how are you going to get glory for this? Let me, let me be here. Let me, let me do it. Yeah, and that's, I've tried to, well, let me rephrase. I've come to a recent realization because people come to my office for help and they come to my office for help. And sometimes it's for catastrophic health problems. Yeah. And my answer has always been, let me try. So you have a problem, let me try to help you. Yeah. And if it doesn't fix it, I'll try something else. And if it doesn't fix it, I'll try something else. And I've recently had to come to the realization that I need to be able to look someone in the eye and say, God's asking me to carry this. I don't know why. And through that suffering, there's going to be some glorifying at the and maybe that's the answer for you. Maybe that's the medical answer for you is I have to be sick. And that's hard one to swallow. Yeah. Which is why it's really hard to be sick and not be a Christian. Yeah. So most of my patients, I don't, I don't even know what the percentage would be. It might even be half. But I don't think all of my patients have that kind of faith. And hopefully, if they listen to this podcast, it might like jar somebody to think, Maybe that's the best way to do life. Yeah. Well, having faith in something beyond me is in control. Maybe that's the better way. Yeah. I was having a conversation with someone someone last night, and we both said, you know, there's this point in our life where we literally, our our minds just had this sudden realization that we've lost our lives. Yeah. It's not mine. You don't got it. It's never been mine. And I'm grateful because if it was mine, I can't imagine what my response would have been in that moment because it would not have been, God, I trust you. It would have been anger. It would have been, again, why is this happening to me? It would have been everything opposite of what it was. It would have been only human. Well, like I said, I was human. I had a human reaction. Sure. But the human reaction was quickly choked out by my trust. <laughs> And that's really the cycle it should go through. I yeah. don't think you can get rid of the human reaction. You shouldn't because no. we, we've been given those reactions. Yeah. But I say this all the time on the other side. I actually said it in the middle too. I believe God trusted me with this pain. Clearly. I believe he trusted me with the pain of my chronic illness. I believe he trusted me with the pain of what we went through with Azariah. Because I believe that in the suffering that we go through in this life, we are the closest to heaven that we will ever be because of the way Jesus suffered. Yeah. Does that make sense? I don't want to experience life without being close to him in that way. I think Oswald Chambers said, never are you more like Christ than when you suffer. Never are you more like God than when you forgive. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> and I don't, I don't know. That's how it's worked in my life. I wouldn't ask, like, I, I um, if I put to the life that I've lived. So and if you could go back happen, yeah. and make Azariah perfect from the start. I wouldn't. You wouldn't do it. Because he is perfect. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I wouldn't do it because, Caleb, we, we could sit and I could tell you all the stories of what God did in just those 
seven months. All right. We're going to touch a little bit of them. Okay. But let's go back. Yeah. You're at Cincinnati Hospital. You have surgery. Yes. Now, all of a sudden, a million people are watching this story. Yeah. And you told me something off air that was pretty shocking to me. You said you had people come to watch and hope for tragedy. Oh, yeah. It didn't outweigh the people who came hoping. Sure. But I. But because of how outspoken about your faith in this yeah. situation, yeah. you had people of not faith coming and hoping your baby died. If you go back and look at those videos, the comments of those videos, you'll see them. I tried to delete as many as possible, but I mean, they're there where people are saying, a lot of them were direct messages, Mm -hmm. um, but a lot of people were coming and saying, your baby is going to grow up if he does, and he's going to hate his mom and dad because they prayed that he would be different. Uh And I was like, Interesting. But then there were also people who said, I'm here, I'm an atheist, and I'm here because I'm expecting your baby to die, or I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I know your baby's going to die, and I'm, I'm here to see your God fail. <sighs> and I, when I tell you that, I didn't get upset at those comments, because how, I, I don't have to. How did you not get upset? Because I don't have to defend God. That's true. God defends himself. What I got upset about was people saying hope your baby dies yeah that's that's (laughs) the part that would bother me yeah people can say what they want they're going to say what they want to say about God I do not have to defend his honor because he's done everything that he could ever do to prove himself as trustworthy and true but the mother comes out oh yeah oh yeah I think they came I think it came out one when they attacked Azariah but two when they attacked my faith in God, saying that I can't pray the things that I've prayed, or God doesn't do the things that you're asking him to do, or, you know, attacking my faith in that way, because I was like, you, you must not know the <laughs> God that I serve, the God who literally came from a virgin, who resurrected from the gr- a grave, who healed blind eyes. If, if he did all of that, why wouldn't I believe that he could work a miracle? Right. So your first video is, this is small for God. It's, this is small for God. And then I continue to say those things in other videos all while this unfolding in a rather uh, dramatic way because yeah. it was so quick and it was, it was negative thing after negative thing with a little bit of positive and then negative, negative. It was just all this stuff. So what were the doctors telling you your chance of your son surviving the surgery was? Well, they said his chance of surviving was high, but they said the risk is also, they didn't give me a percentage. They basically said, there's a chance that this goes great, but there's also a chance that either he has to be delivered on the table or you both die. At 24 weeks. At 24 weeks, he could be delivered on the table or the possibility is both you die. Yeah. Why, why the, such the risk to mom? I think hemorrhage. Because it was, it, it's a huge, I mean, from my, yeah, whatever the, this is, down. Well, I knew the answer, so I was just asking. Oh, you did? Well, yeah, because they're going into the placenta, and mom is shunting all of her blood there. Yeah. And you would bleed out. Yeah. I would, that's, that would be my doctor opinion. Yeah. 
Yep. So they, they told me all the risks of all of them. But they told me, you know, so I said that there's a um, waiting till after um, he's born to have the surgery. And they yeah. told us all the risks of that. And we said, okay, that's not, that's not an option. Because if we have... Because it was riskier? Well, it was riskier to him. Because the, the longer that he went in my belly growing with his spinal cord exposed to amniotic, amniotic fluid, the more that the, the nerves would be, be damaged, right. is what they told us. And the more chance of him um, having hydrocephalus, which is fluid on the brain and needing brain surgery for a shunt and all this stuff. And so we were like, we don't want that option if, it's, if we have the option to do fetal surgery. So his best outcomes come with the greatest amount of risk to mom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Make a choice. <laughs> yeah. And, and you still feel like you chose the right way. Oh, um, yes. Yeah. I would not choose another way. So surgery is successful. S- so successful that uh, the neurosurgeon after I woke, well, after, you know, he, the neurosurgeon stitched me back up, he met with my family and he said, Azariah's defect was the one of the largest I've ever seen but there wasn't more nerves on his spine were intact than weren't and he said I wasn't expecting that so for your neurosurgeon to come after the surgery the six hour long surgery that's extremely risky and has the potential to not go well comes and says it was not only successful but there was it was better than we expected his defect being his his back was open more so they couldn't use like his his skin to close it they had to do a a graft and stuff so where'd they get the graft from i don't know it's a piece of something oh so it wasn't a graft from you it was it was like a cadaver or something like that yeah yeah because i've seen his back and the scar is like unlike one i've ever seen yeah and half his back yeah or more but okay the doctor tells you the chance of him walking is what? His defect was L4, L5. Yes. So the lower the defect, the better the chance. But he said because of how big his defect was, this was before the surgery even. This was the this first was doctor. Before you, you this got was cut. the doctor who told me to terminate yeah, him. the nice one. Yeah. He said probably don't expect him to. Just don't expect him to walk. Don't expect him to walk. Don't expect him to be smart. Don't expect him to have function of his bowels or bladder. Expect him to have hydrocephalus. Expect him to have Chiari malformation. Expect everything that could possibly go wrong to go wrong. And we didn't expect that, but we were aware of ev- I mean, we became an expert medically on my child. Right. So... You know all things spina bifida. I know all things spina bifida. Yeah. But does your son walk? Yeah, he does. My son walked for the first time a month ago. How special was that? Um, are you trying to make me cry right now? <laughs> uh nobody can see us. Probably the second best day of my life besides him being born. Hmm. Because obviously him being born felt like victory because everything that I'd went through. I was able to hold him, even though he is whisked away from me after 30 minutes and taken to a different hospital. Why? I had him at um, a different hospital than Cincinnati Children's, and because he had a surgery in utero, they had to take him to a NICU, 
to evaluate him and make sure that his scar was fine and do an immediate MRI to make sure he didn't have hydrocephalus and need the potential for a brain surgery to place a shunt. Mm. And this hospital was like five minutes away, but I was not able to leave. And there wasn't a NICU at that hospital. So wait a minute. You have this surgery and have this very volatile pregnancy. You go through natural childbirth. Yep. You go through a natural vaginal birth. And with all that trauma, they then take your kid to a different hospital. They do. They didn't give me a choice. Your trauma now makes sense to me, Lexi. Not only that, but, I mean, I told you that while I was on the table, they gave me more trauma. Which was what? I don't well, When I, after I gave birth, remember I told you that trauma? No, I, I don't remember what it was. They, they basically did a manual DNC. Oh, yes. You did tell me that. So not only did I have this euphoria moment where my child was born, but then that happened, and then he was whisked away. And mm-hmm. the next time I saw him, he was in a NICU with wires attached to him and an, and an IV in his hand, and I couldn't hold him because he had um, jaundice, and it was 12 hours later that I got to see him after that. <sighs> but the, the part that I didn't even talk about in there is that I had to relocate to Cincinnati for this surgery because there's the potential for separation to happen of the amniotic sac. So the amniotic sac separates from the uterine wall. These fibers can go in there and they can sever limbs. And so I had to be monitored twice a week to make sure that didn't happen. So you and Craig moved to Cincinnati? I moved to Cincinnati. And Craig stays stayed here to work. And works. He came every weekend, but I was in Cincinnati for five weeks in a house that my a, a gracious couple let us stay in. And then I had separation. And so I had to be in the hospital for 96 days on hospital bed rest, not moving. Getting monitored every 30 minutes. This was, this was while you were pregnant. This was while I was pregnant. This 96 was, days of bed rest. Yeah, this was when I was 20 nine weeks pregnant, two days before Thanksgiving. Went for a, a one of my routine um, two-a-week ultrasounds. Maternal fetal medicine doctor comes in and said, I'm sorry, Lexi, but you're not going to be leaving the hospital until you give birth to this baby. So I didn't. Stayed in a hospital bed. Did you record your time there? I did. One of my most, one of the hardest videos for me to watch because I remember the feelings that I had in that time because I saw nothing but four walls for 96 days and then Azariah was born and I saw nothing but NICU walls for 10 days but also I got to witness to nurses (laughs) like my nurses came and sat at the end of my bed and I got to tell them the gospel and I got to they shared, like, they became my best friends because I didn't see anybody else during the week. My family came up on the weekends. Craig came up. So you weren't allowed outside? I was allowed outside in a wheelchair, but it was the dead of winter. So <laughs> I didn't go outside a lot. Another podcast, another time. One of the things that I would love to chew on for a little bit is the environment that we expect people to heal in. Yeah. So... 
this became very clear to me when COVID happened. One of the reasons why I believe so many elderly died is because we isolated them. Yeah. So you take this elderly person, you isolate them in a room, you don't let any of their family members come talk to them. Mm-hmm. You feed them through a slot under the door. Anyone yeah. who comes sees them has their face covered, and they're in a hazmat suit. What person perseveres through that? They'd rather just give up. Yeah. And I just find hospital, the smell, the feel, the lights, the food, the lack of air, it's the perfect recipe to not get better. Yeah. Sorry, that was a major tangent. But I don't know how you survived that. that for 96 days. I think the answer to that would be that I had a purpose to survive because it wasn't, I wasn't surviving just for me. Like it was me and Azariah in my belly for that entire time. Did, let me ask you a question and this might be really unfair, but I'm going to ask you anyway. (laughs) So an atheist says, I'm tuning in to watch your God fail. Yeah. Did you have any motivation of, yeah, I'm going to prove you wrong. My bot's going to, my God's going to succeed. Oh, every time. <laughs> so you're sitting in there on day 92 and you're like, yeah, I'm proving atheist wrong. There was, I'm not kidding you, Caleb. There was not a day where I ever thought that God was not going to come through. Why? Because I trusted him with Azariah. Did you have a feeling? So Did he come down and talk to you? What? I just knew his character. <laughs> I don't, I, there's, there's not like an, an astounding reason other than it was too, it was so out of my control that I didn't have another, he was the only thing I could cling to. And I was just like, you got to do what you got to do. But when I say that, there were prayers that I prayed that he did not answer in the way that I prayed them. Yeah. And he did that because he's a good God. And because if he would have answered them the way that he did, I wouldn't have the story that I have. Yeah. It, it's really funny how um, we expect God to, to answer what we ask for because we think we know what's best for ourselves. Mm-hmm. It's just hilarious. Yeah. It'd be like my daughter, like expect me to say yes every time because she thinks she knows what's best for herself. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. Yeah. No, I'm, you may not eat another popsicle <laughs> or watch your tenth show. Yes. Goodness. But I asked God to heal Azariah before the surgery because I knew he could. But you knew that he could say no. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. So we we associate our story with the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Mm-hmm. And I, you can look that story up, but um, he said no to them of rescuing them from the fire. Right. They went into the fire, and he met them in there, and that's exactly what he did for us. He knew that the greatest rescue, the greatest show of his glory was not going to be not going through the surgery. It was going to be going through the surgery and having this really difficult journey because he trusted me that I would I would give him the glory, that I would point to him through it. So if he would have stopped at, no, Azariah, you know, there's no spina bifida on this scan. Mm-hmm. You know, what spina bifida? What, he would have gotten glory, but he wouldn't have got it in the way that he did. It wouldn't have, it wouldn't have been what it is now. 
No, it would not have been that dramatic. It would not have been that powerful. I'm so glad he didn't answer that prayer. (laughs) And part of me did pray that prayer because I didn't want to have the surgery. Of course. Surgery, if you would have asked me what my biggest fear in life would, would have been, it would have been surgery. Just in general. In general. Not spiders, not clowns, not anything. It is it is being unconscious while someone is messing with my body. Yeah. That That's my biggest fear. I don't think we really think about surgery like that. But when you say it like that, it sounds pretty freaking terrible. Well, that's that's why it was my biggest fear. Yeah. And I think... I think he did a lot of things, but I think he made me go through that because he needed me to me to trust him that he was going to use the surgeon's hands because he did. And so, ninety six days, ninety six days of bed rest. Yeah, you have the baby, you get him for thirty minutes, and then he's gone. Yep. You get to see him a day later. Yeah, right about that. When's the next time you get to hold him? I got to hold him that day, but it was with. Wires and cords, cords and, and you couldn't touch his little hand because he was five pounds, 13 ounces and had this giant IV in his hand and trying to breastfeed with all that stuff on. Mm-hmm. Impossible. Praise God, it worked. Did it anyway. Yeah, did it anyway. We made it work. And I, I also, even though that was also a traumatic time because nobody wants to be a NICU mom and nobody wants to go through the things that you have to go through in a NICU, but I got access to lactation consultants every day to have a successful breastfeeding journey. I got access to nurses telling me how to do things with a baby that I probably wouldn't have known. Mm-hmm. Like I'd never changed a diaper before. I'd never held a baby before. So like getting to do all of these things in this unfortunate, sterile environment, I also see that there was blessing in that. Yeah. Did you... I don't know if you had listened to my last podcast with the doula, Kelly. Yeah. Oh, Kelly. We know Kelly. Yeah. I love her. Well, one of the really strange things about women and pregnancy and all these things is that it's foreign to you the first time you do it. Yeah. That's a brand new thing in our culture. Yeah. Right? If you were growing up in any different time, you would have had so much confidence with holding, caring, loving this child. I know that's not part of your story, but... I just, I think that there's a problem with that, that I really, it's one of the things I'd like to change. I would like to change how we do pregnancy and how we do education on pregnancy. What if it starts at eight years old rather than 20 when you're pregnant? I'm very passionate about this topic because I am a mom and I did experience it differently than anyone really ever experiences it, but... I, I want it to be different for people, and I want people to know that it can be different. Like, my next pregnancy is going to be different. I'm going to have a different experience <laughs> <laughs> because I believe that the Lord will bless me with that, but also because I, I'm informed now. Yeah. I didn't get the choices before, and I was informed then, but I'm even more informed now, and I know what it's like to have a very checklist birth and a very checklist pregnancy and all the things and I don't want that again and you're in the best health you've ever been yeah so we would hopefully assume that your next pregnancy is going to be a much healthier one it will be yeah I really do believe that yeah I do too 
All right, let's go back to our story. Okay. You have a baby. He gets cleared and does not have hydrocephaly. Of He gets cleared of every... Every single thing. Every single thing. The even doctor told you he was going to have the, the, no, the not nice guy. Even his Chiari malformation reversed. Gone. Gone. Chiari malformation, for those who don't know, is what? Um, it's a herniation of the brain into the brain stem into the spinal cord. It can right. cause things like epilepsy, vision stuff, and headaches. He has none of these things. He has none of these things. And the fact that he now walks on his own yep. without a walker also was not supposed to do that. Nope. He we went to Michael's today and he walked around the store and I just <laughs> sobbed because I was my child is walking in a store. Yeah, and people in there are probably looking at you like this. Oh, this yeah. crazy lady staring at this kid. Oh yeah. But the oh. thing is, if he if that wouldn't have happened, if he would have had to be in a wheelchair wheelchair the rest of his life, I would have been just as proud of him. Oh, of course. But it's just like that I don't know. But the beautiful part about this story is um it's really that God showed up but it, it's almost even more than that, right? It's like the beautiful part of this story is that you can take the worst thing that's ever happened to you and turn it into the best thing yeah. if you trust in someone else. Yeah, exactly. And that, I mean, that's a powerful perspective to have, especially when we're talking on a medical channel here. Yeah. There are so many of my patients who come in with the other perspective, which is what was me? fix this now. My life is in pain. I hate it. I hate it. I hate it. Yeah. Get it rid of me. Take it away. And what if God would maybe heal people and take that away once their hearts changed to what yours was? God, this sucks. Whatever you do, make it glorify you. Yeah. And if that would be the posture, maybe then that's the key that unlocks. Now you get to start to be healed. Yeah. I totally agree with that. I also believe that, just like you said earlier, there's people on this earth who aren't going to be healed until they yeah. get to heaven. But praise God, because there is nothing, there's no spina bifida in heaven. That's what I hear. There's no chronic illness in heaven. So No I, degenerating bodies. But I got to the point where I was, it was when I met you. I don't know if I ever told you this, but I got to the point where I was willing to continue to fight. But if if God would have told me, stop fighting, this is what you are going to live with for the rest of your life. You were okay with that. I was okay with that because, again, I believe you trusted me with that. And then you started to heal. And then it started to heal. <laughs> You're right. I see a common theme You're here. right. You're right. It's really hard to tell someone who's in chronic pain, I need you to be okay with that being for forever yeah but it's not fair it's what it feels like i think that that's true it isn't fair but you know what's also not fair yes what what's not fair is that god even lets us live here in the first place what's not fair is that we even get to experience these joys and breaths in everyday life what's not fair is that um i know what you're I think I know what you're trying to lead to. I'm sorry for everybody who's not Christian. Li listen to this one, but but it's this is heavy on my heart 
in life, especially right now when I'm watching patients go through these struggles. What's not fair is that a sinless man had to, to take the death for all of us. And so whatever cards you're dealt, they're way fairer than anything else compared to that. If we wanted fair, it would have been us on the cross. We'd be toast. Toast right now. Praise God that it's not fair. <laughs> it's not fair. And that's a wonderful thing. But that's the, that's the difference, right, Lexi, is somebody who has that perspective, it completely changes how they view pain. Yeah. And pain is a very valuable signal in the body. And we can have another entire two-hour-long podcast about what pain is and why it's there and yeah. how it actually functions. And mm. we could get really nerdy about it. <laughs> <laughs> but pain, how you respond to it, really is a choice yeah and you can't control the pain portion of it but how you respond to it really is a choice and your story is just I don't know it's encouraging I I have known pain my whole life like in every possible way but when you have physical pain it can't not be mental correct and I think I think sometimes people they need to know that it's okay if the physical pain causes mental and emotional pain, but it can't stay there. Like it has to be given to something, someone, yeah. someone. <laughs> well, one of my favorite C.S. Lewis quotes is um, our brains and our bodies uh, are, are so well connected. Sometimes they share each other's diseases. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. yeah. And people, my world the doctor, science, religion world, they have a really tough time with that, mm-hmm. which is why they label you as crazy when they can't figure out your body pain. Mm-hmm. Well, what if there's some major turmoil happening in the brain manifesting yeah. as physical pain? Is that not possible? It is possible because that happened to me too, though. And Lexi, I watch it every week. Yeah. So I- what, what was it for you? Well, I've had trauma my entire life growing up. I've had trauma with, I, I don't know if you want me to get into that, but I've, I've just had a lot. It's of, whatever you want to say. <laughs> I've just, I've had trauma with men in my life. I've had with every single man who's ever been in my life, except mm-hmm. for my husband. And those traumas each time have damaged my brain, I think, in a way that I think there's, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because I'm not the doctor, you are, <laughs> but but your, what's that thing called? Vagus nerve? Yeah. When when your brain experiences trauma, you have a flight, fight, fawn, or freeze response, yes. right? And so whatever you're prone to, even if that trauma is no longer happening, this is how I understand it, that your brain still sends signals to your gut and to your body that says, we're still in trauma unless you heal from that, unless you heal from that mental turmoil. Is that true? Yes. Let me take it a couple steps deeper. Yeah, you get, you get the medical side <laughs> of that. Well, there's two books that come to mind if anybody wants to listen to them or read them that would really help explain pain and especially in the world of trauma. Yeah. I think the word trauma is really overused, but it's still a useful word. We need to use it because it is a real thing. Yeah. So the body keeps the score 
is a really yeah, helpful I, book. Have you read this? No, but you recommended it to me. So it's extremely helpful. It is very medical, but in a you know 50,000 foot view, what that book is trying to explain is when there's trauma experienced in the brain, whether it's abuse or or visual trauma or it doesn't matter where that manifests is in the body because the brain controls the body so it's the body that keeps the scoreboard of how many traumas have happened to you yeah and i'm not talking trauma like i chipped a tooth on my birthday and it ruined my day that's not trauma mm. that's the that's the i want to get rid of using the word trauma for things like that yeah we're talking severe physical mental sexual abuse yeah visual traumas that that keep the score in your body so that's yeah. that book the other one is why zebras don't get ulcers an interesting <laughs> title it's a very medical book however i think it's digestible for even lay lay people the overall view of that is Human beings have a unique capability to maintain their trauma situation past its event. A zebra in the wild, lion comes out and jumps at it, maybe even gets a scratch and it's behind, but zebra gets away. Goes into complete sympathetic dominant response. Blood, energy, everything is shunted towards muscles. It's diverted away from digestion because you don't need to digest your grass while you're running away from a lion. So all of your energy and a sympathetic response is put towards certain body systems. The zebra, once he gets away from the lion, turns it off and goes back to eating grass. Us humans go try and eat grass. We haven't turned off the button that says the lion's after us. Exactly. (laughs) Enter in why a lot of the things that I have to treat are digestion, and a lot of the ways I have to treat it is through nerves yeah. that control that trauma. Yeah. So, I don't know. Hopefully that helps. Yeah. But that is how, that is how I view patients, especially like you. So you came in. I'm going to tell your story a little bit. Go. So you right. came in, and one of the things that we recognized was, holy smokes, this girl's got a story. Yeah. And she, you even had a story before your story. And a lot of the things we identified were pathologic problems in you as a manifestation to a disruption in your gut that caused immune response after immune response after immune response. And so your body's using its own bullets to keep shooting itself. Yes. And we had to stop it. Exactly what it felt like. Yes. (laughs) And And stopping that is complicated and difficult, but one of the many ways to stop it is to decrease how many bullets you put in the gun. Yeah. And then also to put the freaking gun down. Yeah. And we do that in multiple different ways. And that's why that's why I think so many people come to an office like mine and we have that kind of conversation and they're like, why hasn't anybody told me this? Uh, yeah. Yep. Why have I been to 10 doctors and you're the first one that's explained it like that? Yep. And now we have a podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I think a lot of my healing came from doing exactly what you just said but also I was healed doing all those things but I got like to another layer of healing and freedom when I went back and addressed the mental trauma yeah 
you can't yeah. fully get there unless you do that. Yeah. Which was, it's, it's more, it is more scary to do that than it is for a doctor to tell you to take this drug or take this by far supplement because that's reliving the trauma. I think a lot of my patients deep down know what's wrong with them. They've lied to themselves over and over again because they know the solution is to go confront what that thing is. Yeah. I'd rather take a prescription. I'd rather you crack my back. And they just continue down the road of pain and nothing ever gets solved. That makes me so sad because there's so much healing that could happen. And they'll die that way, most of them. And they'll never, ever actually get to the root cause of why they aren't the best possible version of themselves. You know why I started healing? Why? Because I stopped believing I was a victim. Mm. That's pretty powerful. And I decided to take, well, I say decided to take control, but I decided to stop giving up. So you're telling me you as someone who's had some trauma in the past, probably at the hands of people who were supposed to love you, you decided to not view yourself as a victim of that anymore. I viewed myself as a victim of them. I viewed myself as a victim of my illness. I viewed myself as a victim of everything, <laughs> of life. And the moment I think that I decided I'm not a victim and I'm not going to be anymore, I met you. I started healing, saw a therapist, did all the things. So... I think that's you what people get stuck in yeah. is I'm a victim. And when you, when you see yourself as a victim, you see no way out. You traded I'm a victim, which was maybe true. Yeah. For I'm responsible. Yeah. And that is one of the things I've really tried to hammer in on, especially the last two years. And it's not landed very well. I'm not saying you're not a victim. Screaming I'm a victim makes it worse. I want what's better for you. Why don't you scream, I'm now responsible for what happens next with yeah. me. And yeah. if you can accept that, yes, you were a victim, but now you are responsible, it's really hard to accept that because you want justice for the unfair. Yeah feels like you're giving it up when you say I'm responsible. But you know what's actually victory? You what? and I know. It's healing from the thing that's yeah. been keeping you captive. That's right. And I know that because I've experienced that. I thought that I was, I genuinely thought I was in kind of in a way winning back when I was a victim because I, I thought, well, if I just stay a victim, poor me. Mm -hmm. Someone will see me. Someone will come to my rescue XYZ. But when I s decided to actually stop being a victim and saying, actually, I can, I might not be able to change my entire health history and my entire life history, but I have information now at my fingertips that says I can change my environment that I put myself in, in terms of what I put on my body and what I, you know, put in my body. But I can also change the way that I, I think about what's happened to me. And in doing that, the trauma hasn't gone away. Of like sure. The experience didn't go away. 
But like I'm able to look back at my experiences and it not, my eyes not dart left and right and don't actually look at the thing. I'm able to look head on at the thing and just be like, yeah, that's like part of my story. Do you know that as a physician, that would be an objective finding that we look for to see if whether or not you turned off the sympathetic response? Really? Yes. Well, that's cool. I didn't actually know that. So that's good news, right? <laughs> that is great news. <laughs> if if there's a thing in your past, let's say that's call it trauma, and every time you speak about it, you get severely emotional, you get choked up, you start crying, you get angry. Mm-hmm. That means that you probably haven't dealt with it. Yeah. And there's still some healing to go through. And that's awesome. Yeah. There's not a single part of my story that I can't sit here and say with yeah, you don't care. Oh, and I'm just like, I mean. It's part of Lexi. Yeah. Sucked, for sure, but. Not a victim. Yeah. Got past it. Yeah. And, man, I just, <laughs> it's just great. <laughs> I just wish I could, I wish I could hand that to more people. I don't know. I mean, you've just got a gift. I wish I could just prescribe that way of thinking or, or try to convince them that way of thinking. This is what I I told you this not too long ago that you are my favorite kind of patient because in that story that you just laid out one of the worst flaws in a physician is that he or she could believe that they would be the hero in the story mm-hmm. and if you take that kind of posture that it's my responsibility. I no longer become the hero in your story. I'm just a part of it. You're the hero. Yeah. I don't heal you. You heal you. And that is my favorite patient because what that does is you now get to move on from my office, a bigger, better person that doesn't even need me anymore. And now I have the time to go do that with someone else. Yeah. How often do you see me anymore? Like every couple months. <laughs> If that. Yeah. But do you know that I also was that way because you said that to me? Because <laughs> no you, way. No, you literally said, I'm not going to be the hero of your story. You are going to be, but I know you're going to trust me that I'm going to try. Just like you said earlier. And I said, okay, I do trust you because nobody's ever said that to me before. My goal as the doctor should be to guide you. Yeah. Not to do it for you. Yeah. It's a never, it's, it's a zero-sum game if my goal is to just do everything mm-hmm. for you. And that, again, is that allopathic model. I'm going to give you this drug to do this thing your body's not doing for yourself, and you're going to need me for the rest of your life to prescribe you this drug to keep you healthy. Mm-hmm. Yuck. <laughs> Hate it. Why don't we convince your body that it can do everything that it's supposed to, yeah. and we remove the obstacles that are causing disease? And then watch your body thrive. Now you don't need a doctor anymore. That's health. It is. And that's why we don't have it in this country because the medical system that dominates our population is one that puts them in a cycle that is dependent on them. Yeah. And man, that's why everybody's pounding down our door who has their eyes open because they're like, I want a part of that health system that doesn't make me dependent on it. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We are so deep into this. 
And I you haven't know how even how long we've been doing this. I haven't even gotten to the thing I invited you on here for. Do I know this? Yeah. Oh, okay. Talking about toxicity. Yeah. And how I kind of started to talk about it. You did. But you kind of uh, from obviously from your story. And we didn't even get into this, but I know this because we've talked. There was a lot of guilt when you found out that Azariah had spina bifida. Yeah. And it was, what did I do? What did I not do to cause this kind of thing? Yeah. And so you've kind of gone through your entire house, your entire lifestyle, and you've attempted to detoxify that for the sake and health of not just you and Craig, but also the health of Azariah and whatever future baby you may have. Yeah. Please tell me how to do that. Tell these listeners how in the world do I get these poisons out of my life? I don't think most of them even have identified them. Where did you start? So passionate about this. I started slow. That's a great place. I think that has to be said because, first of all, when I realized that my home was toxic, I was like, I have to get rid of everything in my house. I and mean, it by was toxic, you mean literally, literally caught like, um, effect, like uh, contributing to some of the things that were happening in my body. Because you, I have MTHFR gene mutation, which you could explain it better, but basically means my body doesn't detox well from things. Yeah, and it's even more complicated than that. But <laughs> yeah. I think that many, many people have probably this gene mutation. Yes. And what that means is when you take that gene mutation and put it in a toxic environment, the body starts to unfold in a way that it's not supposed to. Yes. And that's probably the origin of your disease. Yeah. So when I, when I even before I found out that information, because I just found out that information a year ago when you told me. <laughs> But I discovered, I was at a place in my health journey where I was willing to try anything. And someone said, maybe just look at the stuff in your house. And I was cleaning with bleach. I was cleaning with Clorox. I was everything that you can buy at a grocery store that's easily available on a shelf that looks pretty and is marketed to you as safe. I bought because I said, this is safe. I should trust that it's safe. SC Johnson, a yeah. family company. Yes. I, I had some of that stuff in, in my house for a future baby, threw it all away, yeah. but I got really overwhelmed really quickly, which I think a lot of people do because they, they look yeah, at the, it feels overwhelming because you're talking about everything in everything, your home. especially if you are someone who is already ill or trying to, to heal from something because a lot of people claim themselves, I think as healthy, but they don't have great sleep. They don't have a a good period. They don't have all these things and they're okay with that. But I, I decided, okay, also for the sake of my husband and not overhauling (laughs) our whole house because it's expensive to get rid of stuff and to get, you know, non-toxic things or lower, lower toxic things. I swap, I swapped one thing at a time. Over a two-year period. So for two years. For two years, I swapped you things. just made intentional decisions. Yep. We had a budget. I said, okay, Craig, this is what I want to swap this month. We put it in the budget, swapped it. I, f- I figured out a way to make it. You're talking m- cookware. You're talking yeah. deodorant. Mm-hmm. You're talking shampoo. Yeah. You're talking vacuum cleaners, air filters. Uh, I didn't do vacuum cleaners until just recently because <laughs> I didn't know. But yes, but I started, this is the thing I think people need to know. Start with 
the things that you use in your home or on your body most often. People swap things like women don't wear makeup and they say, I got to swap my makeup. Got to go get the clean makeup. And I'm like, but you don't put that on your body. Except for like when you go to weddings in the summertime. Yeah. Yeah. Like swap, pick the thing that swap your deodorant, which I know is hard for people to think about, but because they're so used to the things that those toxic things do to our body or make us feel or whatever, but it, there's a process that your body goes through when you do swap things that your body is getting rid of this stuff that it's been harboring for so long. And when I first started swapping, I felt like garbage. Garbage. Yeah. Which I think is really hard for a lot of people. That's where they stop. Yeah. And that's where it's helpful for me to be a little bit more hands-on be like, hey, mm-hmm. I'm your cheerleader here. Mm-hmm. This feels bad on purpose. Yeah. But that's what I thought. I thought it's getting worse. That makes sense. Yeah. My my thought process was process wasn't I got this non-toxic shampoo and it's making me feel bad. My thought process was my body is getting is rid removing. of what it needs to get rid of. And after that period, I think it was like a couple months when I first started swapping things, the things that I use most often, mainly cleaners. That was cleaners and laundry detergent. Those are the things that I swapped first because those have the highest amount of endocrine disruptors right. and disgusting chemicals. And when I swapped those, I stopped having sleep disturbances. I slept like a freaking rock. Wow. I got my period back after eight years. I, I started noticing different things in my body that I had been struggling with for so long, like brain fog and this overall widespread pain, it started to diminish. None of this went away fully, but it started to diminish. And I thought, this makes sense. Hmm. And then I thought about, we hadn't had a baby yet at that point. And I thought about, well, the more that I'm learning about what this does to my body, the more that it's empowering me and encouraging me to get rid of everything because I, I don't want my baby to have the same health stuff that I did. Mm-hmm. obviously he has different <laughs> but he is a healthy kid yeah you know and I, I just didn't want my children to grow up in a home where I I felt like I had to put them in another room to spray their high chair right or if they accidentally got under the cabinet in this under the sink to be scared of what they're touching it made sense to me that those things change and I think what a lot of people think when they think about swapping their products well they don't work as well Says who? Was so that wasn't your experience? That they don't work as well? Yeah. Not at all. So you found that even some of the more natural, less chemical products work just as fine, if not better? They work differently. I don't think there's a comparison of better. They work if you're talking about cleaning products, yeah, they work. They work about I mean they don't have the nasty smell and kill plants if you spray <laughs> it on them. But they work just as well. But they don't have the side effects that the yeah. chemical-filled ones do. It, are there some products that are chemical-filled that um, do do a better job at some things like dry shampoo? Yeah. There's, sure. there's some dry shampoos that do a great job, but it has flame retardant in it that you're putting on your scalp. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really quickly decided, even if it doesn't work the same, I don't, 
I don't care. doesn't matter. does not matter to me because I was so desperate for a solution that I, I just wanted to get, <laughs> I wanted to get it out of my house. So where'd you go to learn what to get rid of? Did you go to websites for some healthy, clean eating, crunchy moms or what was it? How did you know that this chemical is bad or that I need to get rid of this? Well, I think the first thing that I started to do was I just started to actually look at the ingredients and what I was using. Yeah, it's kind of shocking, right? When you actually turn the shampoo bottle around and look at it and you're like, I can't say any of these I had never done that before. I'd never questioned what was in my products before, ever, because I just assumed that they were safe. Nobody's lying to me. Nobody's not telling me the truth. But when I did, I started thinking, oh, there's this, this... word I can't pronounce let me look it up so I would use at the time I would use an app called think dirty and Mm. I would scan it it's not reliable anymore don't use it but I would use it at the time it got bought out by Johnson and Johnson Mm. yeah wonderful um it's funny how they always do that they do yep um but I would scan it and it would give you a rating of like zero to ten and everything in my house was a nine or a (laughs) ten And then I discovered EWG.com, which is Environmental Working Group. And they have a a thing on there. I don't know what to call it. Uh, It's search engine that you can go and you can type in ingredients and it will do the same thing, but it's not bought out. It is accurate. And so I started using that. So it'll tell you whether or not a product is or that thing is a carcinogen it will not only tell you that it will tell you what that chemical causes is mm. proven to cause and give you articles to read proving that it causes that ewg ewd ewg.org i think you have to do a little bit of like searching once you get on there sure. to find that search engine but so i'm pretty sure they have an app oh yeah they do yeah yeah they do so that's where I kind of started. But then I also just started following people on Instagram who were talking about it. Because there's a lot of people really loud about this topic. You just have to search for it. Sure. So I started following people like um, Irina, I read labels for you. It's her that's, name, that's Irina, name. I read labels for you. Yes. <laughs> and she does exactly that. She shows a common household product on her Instagram, gives you the, you know, shows a picture of the ingredients. And then you swipe and you swipe and it shows ingredient what it is what it causes what it's linked to and then other options which is the most helpful part because right you you so learn she gives you an alternative yes you learn this information and you say okay well what's the alternative but the scary part is that there's a lot of greenwashing 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 is where companies say we're usda organic uh-huh. where we're uh, non-gmo we are plant-based we are or we're, we're all of these things, and then you look at their product, and there's one thing that's organic, or there's a couple things that's organic, and then they have perfume, and then they have uh, Roundup, glyphosate. They have all these things in it. And so greenwashing is where they, they claim to be organic because they have a few th- organic things in them, but they're laced with non-organic chemical crap. This is the thing that I think is most frustrating Oh, yeah. Because you can spend more money Mm -hmm. for an organic label Mm -hmm. or something that looks and you think is clean, and yet you're still getting all of the poisons because we have an untrustworthy system. Yeah. And the regulatory agencies that are supposed to protect that are in bed with the companies that do it. (laughs) This is the thing I've learned. 
you can only do better. Yeah. Right? That's good. I don't think that we should ever be striving for being at this place where our homes are so sterile and so non-toxic that we go out into the world where we experience a restaurant where they clean with Clorox and they all these, they don't have filtered water and our bodies freak out or we freak out mentally because we think, well, there's there's not non-toxic stuff in here. That's not a healthy place to live at. I think what we should be creating in our homes is an environment to where we do the best that we can do and eliminate our toxic burden by getting rid of all the things that we can get rid of, changing our diet to not eat crap Mm -hmm. so that when we go out in the world, it's not affecting our, it's not piling on this toxic burden. I I, like try to give this visual to people where you have like a, a glass of water. Sure. So, and you probably know exactly what I'm talking about or said this before. Like half of it is filled with your genes and then there's your environment that you can't control, filling it a little bit more. And then there's the environment you can control and it overflows. So if you can get rid or change the environment that you can control within your house and within your body in terms of what you're putting in it, then when you go out into the world, it makes sense to me that you wouldn't, your body would react differently. Yeah. Right. Does that make sense? I think that was a beautiful analogy. Okay. <laughs> I usually call it a bucket. A bucket. Bucket sounds... A glass of water sounds fancy. You are so much more sophisticated <laughs> than I Yeah, but I, I think, like I said, we can only do better than what we knew before. And I have went through a lot of products that I thought were good, better, and they turned out to be better but not the best and Mm. I would beat myself up for it because I'm like well it's still got this thing in it and I just had to to learn that I can I can only do better and I'm going to try to keep learning I'm going to try to find better options and not be stuck on this one company if you know they're popular or whatever and they say they're the most non-toxic. Um, there's ever-changing stuff all the time. There's companies that come out with better things. And so I'm just trying to keep my eyes open and, and try different things and see how my body responds. Yeah, I think the most important step in a journey, like you just said, is mm-hmm. the next one. Yeah. So I think where a lot of people get stuck is they see someone like three years down the road of, of this yeah. non-toxic living and go, it's impossible. Mm-hmm. Look at how different their life is than mine. Well, the most important step is just the next one you can take. And that's yes. what you're trying to say is you start small. You yeah. pick a product. It does cost money to throw things away, but we really should view it as we're throwing away poison. Mm-hmm. And I really do think that if it might be too soon for you, we'll see. I'll ask you a question. The amount of money you spent on physicians, has that gone down since you started doing this non-toxic living? I don't know how to explain. I don't know how to put into a number. I don't know if I've ever calculated how much money I've spent on physicians, but it does not even touch how little I have spent changing my lifestyle. So when people say it's too expensive, your answer has to be, it's too expensive for you to keep doing what you're doing because you're spending so little at the grocery store and so much on your health. Yeah. We need to flip that around. Yeah. And I really, 
this is passion for me because I really want to change that. Well, I have changed that in, in my immediate family, but I also want to change that in my work family mm-hmm. and my patients. And I'm, I don't know. I don't know how much this to reveal about what I'm trying to do. <laughs> I love it. Um, there is also this frustration that I have because I know that there are lower income families who quite literally look at the prices of these products and they say, I can't. And then there's this guilt that floods over them that mm-hmm. says that immediately is like, well, I'm poisoning my family or I'm all, all of this self-directed stuff and it it infuriates me that this stuff that is good for our bodies is not readily and easily available for all incomes it makes me want to just cuss <laughs> and I don't do that but well I, that's that is what I am trying that is a problem I'm trying to solve well you can solve it with me because I'm really passionate and potentially with a friend creating a nonprofit that helps lower income families get non-toxic products in their home. What we're trying to do here at Crossroads, I'm going to give a little bit of a glimpse into what we're trying do to I do. Do I know? I think you know. Okay. I don't know if you know. I think you know. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to use the resources that we have here and the contacts and the partnership that we have here And also my unique situation. I live out in the country on 70 acres of land. I've never been a farmer, but now I live next to all of these kinds of people. Yeah. Can we regeneratively farm land that offers local, organic, healthy food at a price that is cost-effective to anyone yeah can we partner with farmers can we start a co-op can we make a grocery store that if you're part of this circle you can buy food for an affordable price that is healthy that's what we're working on right now i don't know when it's going to happen i don't know if it's going to be when i'm 70 but i will be a farmer someday and we'll offer that kind of food and service to the patients at our practice that's what i'm working on gives me chills (laughs) Because there are so many people hungry for that. There Desperate. is a massive market for it. It is a large undertaking. People but don't believe it's possible. I don't think... I, I, I agree with you. Because when I say that I want to start a farm to some people, they laugh at me. And <laughs> I, I just... it's They don't know you. It, yeah. It's going to happen. Yes. It is possible. And it will be affordable. I haven't figured out how to do it all. And maybe talking about it on this is one of the ways that it's going to turn into something. Because somebody might be hearing this who has an idea that they can attach to this and then we can turn it into something. Yeah. But we have to start fixing the health of our nation. Yeah. And in particular, our children. Mm -hmm. And it has to start with non-poisonous food. Yeah. I'm so sad when I go, I'm going to say this out loud. I'm going to get in trouble. (laughs) I go to a church and I help out with children's ministry at that church. My daughter's in the children's ministry. Mm -hmm. We have a snack time. The food that I feed these children at snack time (sighs) 
it's like I'm violating the part that I'm teaching. It's like yeah. I, I'm handing animal crackers and pretzels and goldfish and Oreo cookies. And I'm just like, oh, yeah. what am I doing? I, I don't have another, I don't have a better solution yet, but I want one because I just can't stand watching us give these things to our kids because that's what they want, because that's what they've been conditioned to want, because they sneak sugar into everything, which is basically like cocaine to them. And then we just create these little buckets of toxic addicts and just wait for whatever catastrophic health thing to happen to them because they have this underlined environment of poison. People don't know that. People don't know that those foods from what I've experienced, I, I've had conversations with people where they're like, uh, I shouldn't be giving my kid this. Yeah. It's because that's just what we know. Yeah. And there's such brilliant marketing that we've all swallowed <laughs> for a long yeah. time. Yes. Or, or there people do know, but again, it's how do I, how do I afford that? How can that? I get there? Yeah. And they go grocery shopping and they grocery shop with guilt because they, they look at all this stuff that they want, but it's not it's not doable. Mm-hmm. And I, I understand that. And yeah, it, it yeah. frustrates me because I don't ever want someone to feel guilty about knowing something, but not being able to change because they can't afford it. So you're starting a nonprofit. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I just really have, I, that's really. So you and I see the same me. problem and oh, we yeah. want a solution to that problem, yes. but we're just trying to figure out how to get there. Yes. I want it to be more affordable for me. (laughs) Yes, I agree. (laughs) That would be nice. I agree. Because it's not like it's, it's peaches and rainbows. I mean, it's, it's still hard. Yeah, you've had to make sacrifices. Yeah. Because you've chosen to spend your income on certain things that are far more expensive. Yeah. Where you could get a counterpart that is way more poisonous for a third of the cost. Yeah. But I've just been awoken, awaken. Yes. (laughs) I've been woke. You are woke. <laughs> yeah. Pay the farmer now or the surgeon later. And that's... Pretty much. That's where we are right now. One of the things that most people don't understand, I love to use this analogy, um, kidney stones, atherosclerosis or placking in your arteries, and arthritis, they're all the same disease. This is your body laying down calcium, the mineral it has at most hand, to try to bury this blanket of inflammation. If it lands in your blood vessels, it's a clot. If it lands in your joints, it's arthritis. If it lands in your kidney, it's a kidney stone. There are obviously nuances to that and other reasons for it, but they're literally the same disease. And so the mindset of America is, oh, I'm bone on bone on that knee, and you know I'm going to have to get it replaced at some point. You, you just swallowed the marketing of the, the medical model that bones just deteriorate. Well, the body is so good, and I didn't say it, but I'm going to say it now. The body is unbelievably good at when your glass of water boils over, what it will do is bury the effects. So if you don't pour too many toxins in your glass it will break them down and get rid of them or even recycle them. Yeah. If it's pouring over and it doesn't have the ability to get rid of them, 
the body is very, very intelligent and then it's going to bury them down. And in your case, what this looks like in the intestines is something we call a biofilm. So your body's going to take fat or lipids and it's going to bury these toxins and you get layer after layer after layer, which is why while you're eating these poisons, you probably don't feel as bad as when you stop eating them and your body starts to pull those out. Yes. So there's this period of time where you have to walk through the woods a bit mm-hmm. and that's when people like to give up and I'm trying to encourage them, no, don't give up. You have to get rid of this stuff. We can try to help with the symptoms of that by a whole bunch of other stuff. But this chronic toxic load causes this inflammatory response. And it is the cause of so many diseases. They are all the same thing. Yeah. People want to give up because they think, well, I should be getting better right now. Yeah. There shouldn't be a journey. Yeah. It should be immediate. It should not be. It should not be immediate. No. It should be layer after layer after layer because you've lived how that's many years? how you built that bucket of garbage. Yeah. One overflowing layer after layer after layer. Yes. So when you look at it that way, it makes sense why it has to be a journey and it has to be slow. And, and so you started one month at a time. You picked one product. I did. And sometimes it was something as cheap as deodorant. Yeah. You threw it all out. You got a new natural deodorant and you said, this is now what we buy. I know it costs two more dollars than the other Mm -hmm. thing, but that's the way it goes. Yeah. There just wasn't another, I I wasn't going back. I was only going forward. I'm going to, I'm going to do one thing at a time. I mean, some, some months it was more than one thing because we could afford that. You know, some things are less expensive, but I also made a lot of my stuff. People don't realize that you can make stuff. So I think that this is another thing. I'm just starting to get into. Okay. There's a point down that journey of, I keep calling it crunchy and my wife hates it. (laughs) That's what I explain it as. I know. So I think she's, she's starting to like it a little bit more. But there's this journey down crunchy where you start to get a little bit more savvy with it. Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden it starts getting more affordable where you're like, I can make my own cleaner. Yeah. Out of this essential oil and and water and this yep and so there are a few of those items that once you start getting down this road of of thinking differently of less chemicals of less poison you can actually start to save money in some areas oh yeah there's there's almost an initial an initial cost like getting those supplies like liquid cast aisle soap is like 12.99 for a giant bottle And and how long does it last you Oh, like at least two years. <laughs> right, right. And you make 20 plus hand soaps from that. Right. And body soap and shampoo and all this stuff. But going into that journey, I think you do have to to let go of this expectation of it. I guess, like you said earlier, not necessarily working the same way, but just being different. Because we're used to shampoo, like Dove and Suave, having this sudsy, super sudsy effect and it being um, smelling a certain way. Like we have to be okay with things being not fragrancy and not full of extra added things that at that point in in this product made it do this certain thing that was kind of cool. You know, like 
antiperspirant deodorant made you not sweat. But Hmm. in reality, that's not always the best thing if you don't sweat. (laughs) And people don't know that. And it's it's a hard adjustment because it's, I think this journey of switching your products out is way more mental than it is anything else. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And one of the other things that I've observed, observed? (laughs) (laughs) You're tired. Oh my goodness. (laughs) One of the other things that I have observed, and you might have also, maybe you can tell me if it's true. There's a, a portion of when you're along that journey also where the products that you desired before you may go back to and have every once in a while, especially with like food, and it tastes so terrible, like so ash in gross. your mouth to the point that it makes it so much easier to abstain from it. Mm-hmm. I think fast food's probably the easiest example. Oh, yeah. Where you're like, I ate fast food on a regular basis. Maybe it wasn't every day, but it was every week. Now you go to where I'm going to go a whole month without eating this fast food. Mm-hmm. And then you get to the point where you're six months out, and then you go and you're like, I, it tastes so gross. It's, I would rather not eat yeah. than eat that fast food where you never tasted it like that before. Yeah. And I'm sure that you probably had some of that experience where even with the shampoo, like you said, I don't even like the feel of the no. sudsy stuff in my no. hair anymore. But I've gotten to the point mentally where it's not worth it to me. Yeah. I would rather have a soap that never suds, but you know, still cleans my hair than and know that it's not going to do a single thing to my body. And to have that icky, chemically yes. fake feel again. I know what it's like to live with all of the burden, and I'm not willing to go back there. Yeah. So if that means I have to make all of my products and spend the time, because it's time, too. You super crunchy, Lexi. I mean, I don't make everything, but I, <laughs> I am super crunchy, and I'm proud of that because it's benefited my body and my family. Are we in perfect health? No, we still are human beings. Sure. And again, I don't. We're, it, the point is not abstaining from all those things or never coming in contact with it. It's just that I lower the burden. Yeah, my body gets to breathe for a second. I think people need to understand what you just said there. They need to hear it again. It's not that you never come in contact with those things again. It's that you've lowered the daily burden of toxins, mm-hmm. and you have made. One choice, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times, so that you can be exposed to that toxin and it doesn't cause disease in your body. Yeah. It's like saving for retirement. Like, if you start at the age of 20 and you put 20 bucks in every month, by the time you get there, yeah. holy smokes, you're set. Yeah. And if we can convince children or young adults to do this now, yes, <laughs> they're health retirement is going to be amazing. It is. Even though they can still, I don't know, take their daughter to Pizza King once every while. Yes. We're not not living life. We're just doing it smart. Yeah. A a mindset I I hear people have a lot in this change too is, well, one swap doesn't matter. Like it's not going to do anything. Mm. Maybe it's not going to take away everything, but I think it's the mental shift yeah. in, in doing it in the first place. It's exciting, or it should be. And so you keep doing it, and you keep seeing it compounding over time. You're swapping, and then you see you see the result of it. 
You might, you might though. I have had people say that they swapped their cleaning products actually a lot, and their kids' allergies go away. Gone. They don't have a single allergy anymore. So it's again, it has to be something that you use daily because that's what is affecting your body most often. I've seen that very frequently. Yeah. Where one swap could matter, but yeah. I think you're right. One swap may only be one swap. Yeah. But two swaps isn't just two. You're right. It starts to exponentiate. Yes. Snowball. Yeah. Your body's going to be really happy about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. All right. So what was the one thing you switched out that was the biggest difference? It's okay. The answer can be there wasn't one. Not what I think you would expect me to say. Okay. My supplements. <laughs> I am not surprised at that. You're not? No. No. I think people need to hear that. Yeah. So what did you switch? I was... <laughs> makes me want to throw up. I was taking, like, the um, pharmacy vitamins, like, all the vitamins because I just thought I'm deficient. Deficient yeah. in all these things. So you're taking Centrum or Women's Health yeah. Daily? Or oh, yeah. Yeah, the buy Nature one, the organics. one that's always buy one, get one free or buy one, get one half off at the <laughs> drugstore. I was taking those and I was taking them every day because I just assumed that I was deficient in them. And I think it was when I'm, it was before I met you, but you like solidified it that especially because of my gene mutation, mm -hmm. I don't, why, why am I taking this stuff? I don't know if my body needs this. Yeah. Absorption is key. What most people don't understand is most vitamins are what we call nutraceuticals. Mm -hmm. So they're synthetic. Yeah. And they're made from petroleum. I just watched a YouTube video on petroleum. It's tragic. I don't know how petroleum's made, but I'm very certain it's not supposed to be ingested. No. So I think that most people don't understand that, that not all, like, I'm taking vitamin D. Great. Yeah. Where'd it come from? Yes. Was it synthetic vitamin D? Because if it is, it's partly poisonous. Yeah. The reason I say that that was the one that made the most difference is it, it really was that was the one that made the most difference for me because I feel like I was putting things in my body that my body didn't need slash couldn't even use correctly yeah. or use all of. So that was the biggest difference for me in that way. But I think the product that was the biggest difference was my cleaners mm. because I clean all the time. I'm not a neat freak or anything, but I love to clean. I love to keep a somewhat decent house, yeah. even with a toddler. And just look at what is in I know. A, a Clorox cleaner and what it does. So I, I, and my laundry detergent, I think they are almost one and the same. I went from not sleeping three plus hours to fall asleep to like, like that. Like a baby. <laughs> I I thought that was a great answer. I did not pay you to say that about the supplements. That was not what I was no. expecting. But I think that that um, most people don't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But how easy is it to, to swap a cleaner? I think it's, it is easy. It's but very I, easy. The mindset is, well, it won't clean. It won't kill the germs. It won't do X, Y, or Z. Yeah, well. Yeah. Um. Killing all of the germs in an environment, and I'm not on board with. So, me either. That's <laughs> I, that's again part of that sterile hospital environment thing mm -hmm. that that I don't think 
is conducive to health. Yeah. I think it's important to note that if you do get a non-toxic cleaner or a lower toxic cleaner, there is a, a process of cleaning where people with bleach or Clorox, they have a, a dirty surface and they spray the Clorox on the dirty surface mm-hmm. and they clean that and it kills the germs, right? That's how it works. With a non-toxic cleaner, it won't, net, like I'm talking about like thieves cleaner, for example, sure. does not disinfect. It does not kill every germ on the surface, but it wipes it away. If you want to disinfect, you can get a non-toxic disinfectant, which sure. is as simple as using vinegar, salt, and there's some and water. And it's there's a product called Force of Nature. Have you ever heard of, heard of it no. before? It's this little scientific experiment thing that you get to watch happen. You get this little capsule of vinegar, salt, and water, and you put it in this thing, and it causes this reaction that when you spray it on things, it, it does the exact same thing that Clorox cleaner <laughs> awesome. does. Yeah. Man. But you get, to, you get to make it. Yeah. You know? And it, it's just vinegar, salt, and water. <laughs> Crazy stuff. Well, thank you for coming on here. Thank you for inviting me. I was not planning on getting into your story that heavy, but I'm happy we did. Me too. And Maddie, if you're listening, thank you for letting me <laughs> be out so late again. This is literally probably three hours long. Oh, uh, it's, it's two. Oh, okay. Okay. So <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> oh my gosh. Lexi theory. Uh, Teary. You're the best. Thanks. Maybe you'll come on again and we'll do this some Yeah, time. I'd love to. Thank you.